This is News To Go, your daily news podcast featuring news from various news outlets, heard via our Anchor podcast app and playing on iRadio daily until mid-afternoon. Now the news. Happy Monday. It is the 17th of January, which means it is Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. How are you doing out there? My name is Keith Thu, station manager for News Source 1, Michiana. Time to wake up, time to get refreshed, time to get fed with the news. All on the podcast this morning. We just simply do not have enough room on iRadio to put it all on there for you today. But hopefully we'll be able to do that the rest of this week. It is hoped that this is going to be a day of service. So if you are inclined to help a civic organization in need or your neighbor or the homeless or any other sort of person, please do so in Martin Luther King Jr.'s honor. He did a lot for civil rights. He died young. He served well and loved by many Because it is a federal holiday, a number of schools are closed, a number of banks are also closed today, and there will be no mail service for today. Also, the South Bend Martin Luther King Jr. celebration hosted by Glass Muhammad has been delayed and rescheduled. We'll let you know when, as soon as we get that information. We have a new program on our iRadio channel of the Michael Medved Show, and we are staying on top of developments over in Russia on the Ukraine border. This is a very tense situation. It could get very ugly, so be aware and please monitor what's going on. This does affect everyone on the planet. There's a wake-up call if you are not yet fully woke up. So wake up, wake up, Michiana. Time to go to work if you have to work today. Well, let's go ahead and go on to the news, followed by the John Schaefer Show for today on Monday, and Pastor Keith McFerrin with Bethel United Methodist Church's message for you this morning from yesterday's sermon. News Nation this hour, I'm James Sears. The Northeast is bracing for a massive winter storm that brought freezing rain, snow, and ice to much of the Southeast. Winter weather alerts affected nearly 80 million people from Georgia to Maine Sunday. High winds were expected in cities including New York and Boston. Snow had started falling in Philadelphia and New York last night. Martin Luther King III and his family kicked off the holiday honoring his father with a rally against the Senate's filibuster rule. The late civil rights icon's son took aim at Democratic Senator Kirsten Sinema of Arizona. We believe that as it relates to getting this, uh, these bills passed, that um, Senator Sinema has been one of the challenges. And so it made sense to come to Arizona. King said Cinema's speech last week opposing changes to the filibuster means she supports voting rights, but not as much as she supports the ability to take those rights away. With the 50-50 split in the Senate, the Democrats' voting rights bill has no chance of passage unless the filibuster is changed to allow passage by a simple majority. One of the last surviving members of the Tuskegee Airmen passed away Sunday at the age of 102. Charles McGee's family confirmed his passing, saying he died with his right hand over his heart and was smiling serenely. The Cleveland-born Baltimore resident was part of the Airmen's 332nd Fighter Group and saw action throughout the Second World War, both escorting heavy bombers on missions to Europe and engaging enemy craft. The federal government's free at-home COVID test website will go live Wednesday. This is where each household across the country can order four free at-home rapid tests. Shipping is expected to take 7 to 12 days once you place the order. The president of the National Association of Letter Carriers, Local 11, Mac Julian, says postal workers are ready for deliveries despite persistent staffing shortages. I anticipate that we're going to do everything that we can to meet the challenge to get uh, these packages into the hands of our customers. And insurance companies are now required to cover the cost for at-home COVID tests purchased over the counter. 
Animal shelters across the nation are taking part in the Betty White Challenge today. The viral challenge encourages fans to celebrate what would have been the Golden Girls' 100th birthday by making a $5 donation to their favorite animal center. Betty was an avid animal lover. She died at her Los Angeles home on New Year's Eve just weeks before her 100th birthday. Buy News Nation on your cable or satellite provider and stay up to date around the clock at NewsNationNow.com and on the News Nation Now app. I'm James Sears. Happy Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Here is your forecast. Snow showers likely, mainly before 11 a.m. Cloudy, with a high near 30. Northwest wind around 15 miles per hour, with gusts as high as 25 miles per hour. Chance of precipitation is 60%. New snow accumulation of less than a half inch possible. Monday night mostly cloudy, with a low around 20. West wind around 10 miles per hour. Tuesday mostly cloudy, with a high near 36. South wind 5 to 15 miles per hour, with gusts as high as 25 miles per hour. Tuesday night mostly cloudy, with a low around 26. South wind around 15 miles per hour, with gusts as high as 30 miles per hour. Wednesday a slight chance of flurries before 10 a.m., then a chance of flurries with a slight chance of snow showers between 10 a.m. and 1 p.m., then a chance of snow showers after 1 p.m. Cloudy, with a high near 32. Chance of precipitation is 30%. Wednesday night snow showers, mainly after 7 p.m. Low around 13. Chance of precipitation is 80%. Thursday snow showers, mainly before 10 a.m. High near 19. Chance of precipitation is 80%. From the Black Information Network, this is the BIM Daily Update. I'm Vanessa Tyler. And I'm Mike Stevens on your home for 24-7 News, the Black Information Network. The King celebration takes on a special urgency this year because there will be a demand for action on the stalled voting rights legislation, especially now, Martin Luther King III tells us, with what's going on around the country. Since January 6th, 19 states have passed 34 laws that are making it harder to vote in a country that purports to be a democracy. Martin King III and his family will lead the march in D.C., reminding us all the annual commemoration is a day on, not a day off. Another MLK Day tradition, but this one has Miami law enforcement concerns. It's illegal to operate ATVs and dirt bikes on the roadways. It's the annual MLK ride-out. Operatives of dirt bikes and ATVs take over Broward County, Florida streets. Police say they disrupt traffic and will not be tolerated. As the nation remembers the life of Dr. King, few remember the life and sad death of his mother. Mrs. Alberta Williams King was also assassinated, shot to death. Back in the summer of 1974, Mrs. King was playing the organ inside the iconic Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia, when Marcus Wayne Chenault Jr. stood up from the front pew and fired. She was 69. The church deacon was also killed. Chenault got the death penalty, but the King family opposed it, and instead her killer was given life until he died of a stroke behind bars. New York City police say they have the cold-blooded robber accused of killing a teenage fast food worker in East Harlem after she gave him the money and he shot her anyway. Police say homeless 30-year-old Winston Glynn faces murder charges. Surveillance video shows a man shooting 19-year-old Crystal Bayron Nieves after she handed over $100 from the cash register. We have been saying this over and over again. There are too many guns on our streets. New York's African-American mayor, Eric Adams, says this points to a larger problem. Also in New York, one good turn does not lead to another. Police say a man seeing a homeless man lying in the freezing cold on the street without a coat literally took the coat off his back and placed it on the sleeping man who immediately woke up, beat up the good Samaritan, and stole his wallet. And they are the bravest in Jersey City, New Jersey, the members of the fire department 
department are like family, but in the case of newly promoted Battalion Chief Dwayne Taylor, it's truly family connected to a black history legacy. His grandfather was the first black Jersey City firefighter hired back in 1950. Battalion Chief Taylor's father was also a firefighter, a proud history of three generations of African-American men. For more on these stories and international, national, state, and local news affecting the black community, listen to the Black Information Network on the iHeartRadio app or log on to BINnews.com. I'm Vanessa Tyler with Mike Stevens on your home for 24-7 News, the Black Information Network. Look through your children's eyes and you will discover the true magic of a forest. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. I'm Mike Stevens. And I'm Vanessa Tyler on your home for 24-7 News, the Black Information Network. Baltimore, Maryland's black state attorney, Marilyn Mosby, is being indicted by a federal grand jury. She faces two counts of perjury regarding COVID-19, financial hardship withdrawals, and two counts of making false statements on loan applications. Prosecutors say Mosby took withdrawals of forty dollars and $50,000 from her city retirement account by falsely claiming pandemic-related financial hardships. If convicted, Marilyn Mosby faces up to 30 years for making false statements. She says she's innocent of the charges. President Biden updating Americans on the progress made on infrastructure improvements. Biden said he ran for office to fix problems. This bipartisan infrastructure law I signed two months ago unites us around uh, things we all depend on. Whether you're in rural Kentucky or downtown Philadelphia, you should be able to turn on a faucet and drink clean water. Biden signed a sweeping infrastructure bill two months ago. He says it will modernize the nation's highways, ports, airports and bridges and plenty of jobs created. But no such progress to report on voting rights. As Trey Thomas reports, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer says a vote is scheduled for Tuesday. Schumer is delaying the vote he pledged to have by the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday on Monday. The New York Democrats said the delay is due to an impending winter storm. The bill has no Republican support, and a vote to change Senate rules to allow passage by a simple majority is also expected to fail. I'm Trey Thomas. On this holiday weekend, honoring the birthday of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., we are reminded of his eloquence, his sacrifice, and dedication that has made life better today for African Americans. This is a portion of a rare interview done with Dr. King by NBC News in 1967. This clip is a reminder of what is still happening to black people today. I noticed the other day, some weeks ago, a Negro was shot down in Chicago and it was a clear case of police brutality. That was on page 30 of the paper, but on page 1 at the top was 780 Viet Cong killed. That is something about a war like this that makes people insensitive. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was jailed nearly 30 times. According to the King Center, the civil rights leader was arrested for acts of civil disobedience and on trumped-up charges, such as when he was jailed in Montgomery, Alabama in 1956 for driving 30 miles per hour in a 25-mile-per-hour zone. Sometimes the arrests were expected and planned, all a part of the struggle for the fair treatment of African Americans in this country. Dr. Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech is considered one of the most iconic in American history. Every year, school children across the country recited in his honor. These fourth graders took turns saying parts of the speech. I have a dream that one day on the Red Hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together to tear a brotherhood. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of skin, but by the content of their character. I'm Mike Stevens with Vanessa Tyler on your home for 24-7 News, the Black Information Network. This episode is brought to you by Wix. Are you ready to take your business online? You need Wix, the leading website creation platform that's got all the tools you need to create, manage, and grow your brand. Over 200 million people are already using Wix's wide range of solutions to enhance their businesses, like ultra-smart SEO tools designed to get you found on search engines, faster loading times to create outstanding user experiences, and payment solutions to help you boost your revenue. Plus, with enterprise-grade security built into every site, 
you know you're in safe hands. So whether you're starting your online business or you've got a side hustle, with Wix, you can design a site to showcase your work that'll look great on any device. You can also manage everything from one dashboard on desktop and mobile, so you can be available anywhere at any time. In the office, at home, or on the go. Want to get started? Head over to Wix.com and create your website today. That's Wix.com. Your money on the Black Information Network. Retail sales fell more than expected in December. The Commerce Department said retail and food services sales declined 1.9% in the biggest drop in 10 months. Analysts blame high prices and the Omicron surge for falling consumer demand as the holiday season wrapped up. However, total sales for the year were up 19% from 2020. President Biden is updating progress on infrastructure improvements. Speaking at the White House, Biden said he ran for office to fix problems. This bipartisan infrastructure law I signed a few months ago unites us around uh, things we all depend on. Whether you're in rural Kentucky or downtown Philadelphia, you should be able to turn on a faucet and drink clean water. He said the measure is modernizing highways, ports and airports and old bridges. I want you to know, I see you, I hear you, we understand. And I've seen and we've understand the damage done in places like Flint, Michigan and Jackson, Mississippi. He highlighted efforts to renovate crumbling bridges, calling many a tragedy waiting to happen. Nearly $30 billion is being allocated to states for bridge repairs. Biden noted old water and sewer systems will be upgraded. He said the roughly $1 trillion infrastructure plan is creating good new jobs. Money news at 24 and 54 minutes past each hour. I'm Julius White on the Black Information Network. We've all felt left out. And for people who move to this country, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Download the BIN Daily Update every morning on the iHeartRadio app. Welcome to 2022 Talks, where we're following our democracy in historic times. We have to make sure that national service reflects the diversity of the country and the communities we serve, um, making sure that folks in communities that are being served not only see themselves as someone that can be served, but someone that is serving. AmeriCorps CEO Michael Smith on Martin Luther King Jr. Day of Service. Across America, people are giving back by helping at food banks, cleaning up public spaces, and assisting seniors. All four hostages were safely released after a day-long standoff at a Texas synagogue. Police rescued a rabbi and congregants held by a man who claimed to have weapons and explosives. The suspect, a 44-year-old British citizen, is dead. The Southeast has been walloped by a winter storm. Heavy snows and freezing temperatures in places that don't normally get them. The National Guard helped free trapped motorists in South Carolina. Former President Donald Trump held a Save America rally in Arizona, where he called President Joe Biden a, quote, disaster. Inflation is the worst it's been in 40 years. Gas prices are up 50 percent. The grocery shelves, the department store shelves, they're empty. Trump endorsed GOP Arizona gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake. Lake said she would not have certified the 2020 election. A Republican Glenn Youngkin was sworn in as Virginia's 74th governor Saturday and delivered his inaugural address in Richmond. Together we will renew the promise of Virginia. So it will be the best place to live and work and raise a family. Yunkin signed nearly a dozen first-day executive orders, lifting a mass mandate in public schools and banning the teaching of critical race theory. Critics say it's not taught now. Senior Biden administration officials warn the U.S. could support Ukrainian resistance if President Vladimir Putin invades. Columbia University professor Rajan Menon says U.S.-Russia relations have built-in tensions based on the threats each nation sees. Both sides have a very stylized vision of the threat that each poses to the other. And in some particular respects, that is accurate. Russia has massed 100,000 troops near the Ukrainian border. Unemployment overall is near historic lows, but a new Wallet Hub study finds 230,000 Americans filed during the first week of January. The uptick coincides with the spread of Omicron. 
The White House says households can order free at-home COVID tests starting this week at the website covidtest.gov. Surgeon General Vivek Murthy warned that winter will be tough as Omicron continues to surge. I'm Nadia Ramlagan for Pacifica Network and Public News Service. Find our eight trust indicators to support transparency and accuracy at publicnewsservice.org. The Public News Service Daily Newscast, January the 17th, 2022. I'm Mike Clifford. The quest for greater racial equality is in the spotlight today on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. We have a series of reports starting with Eric Tegadoff from the Northwest. Gordon McHenry Jr., president and CEO of United Way of King County, says the first step to addressing inequality is understanding this struggle is going on everywhere. Make sure that folks are recognizing that in Seattle and King County, progressive Northwest, we have issues of racial inequity right here. And it's not in other places. It's right here. To shed more light on the issue, United Way of King County hosts an online event this Wednesday at 6 p.m. with Clint Smith, author of a recent book on America's reckoning with its history of slavery. And today, activists in Little Rock are hosting a drive through interfaith prayer day on MLK Day. The Caravan of Love in Action starts at 8 a.m. at Martin Luther King Elementary in Little Rock, handing out breakfast bags to visitors before proceeding to the governor's mansion, where organizers will offer voter information. Caravan organizer Deborah Springer Sutler says the event is about reminding Arkansans what's at stake if Congress fails to pass key voting rights protections. It's important for the John Lewis Voting Advancement Act and the People's Act to pass, but we intend to continue to fight by providing the information about voting rights, how to register to vote, how to get involved in each election so we can make a difference. The caravan was also organized by Reverend Anika Whitfield of the Arkansas Poor People's Campaign and has received support from the ACLU of Arkansas and the Arkansas Legislative Black Caucus. And now to Ohio, where folks across the state will answer Martin Luther King Jr.'s call to action. MLK Day is the only federal holiday designated as a National Day of Service. Sarah Short is the Volunteer Engagement Program Officer at Serve Ohio, the State Commission on Service and Volunteerism. She spoke a lot on the beloved community, and I think that serving on MLK Day really shows that you're committed to service to help really unify everyone despite different backgrounds and experiences. Throughout Ohio, thousands of people are taking part in volunteer events organized by their schools, churches, and other organizations as well. Mary Sherman reporting. And for Reuters, a dangerous winter storm combining high winds and ice began sweeping through parts of the U.S. Southeast Sunday, knocking out power, felling trees and fences. Tens of thousands of customers without power in Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Florida. Highway patrols reporting hundreds of vehicle accidents and a tornado ripped through a trailer park in Florida. This is PNS. Advocates for New Yorkers with disabilities calling on state lawmakers to take action on policies that would raise earnings for home care workers. The Fair Pay for Home Care Act would increase the pay for workers in home and community-based care services to at least 150% of the minimum wage. Heidi Siegfried with Center for Independence of the Disabled New York says low pay in this field has contributed to high worker turnover, which could leave people without the care they need. So the person may end up you know, going without care for a day, not able to get out of bed, not able to transfer. Depending on your disability, some people are very dependent on the worker to you know, live their life. Siegfried says her group also hopes New York Governor Kathy Hochul will slate a home care worker pay raise in the state budget being announced Tuesday. Federal funding for these workers through the Build Back Better Act is still up in the air since the U.S. Senate hasn't voted on the plan. I'm Michaela Sabat reporting. Iowa's tax credit for installing solar energy systems is no longer in place, but lawmakers still face pressure to provide payments to those who were on a waiting list. The credit was allowed to expire at the end of 2021. And with the money set aside for residential installments already spent, those who applied but hadn't been paid were out of luck. The Iowa Department of Revenue says more than 1,400 applications were ultimately denied. 
But Nick Summers with the Center for Rural Affairs says these property owners each made a substantial investment, hoping it would be offset by the credit. The state's failing to uphold its side of the deal. And we know that the state has the means to pay this out because the state of Iowa is sitting on a $1.2 billion budget surplus. That surplus estimate was issued in the fall, and larger figures are now being floated as the legislative session gets underway. I'm Mike Moen. Finally, Roz Brown tells us New Mexico's 30-day legislative session, held in even number years, typically focuses on budget issues. But juvenile justice advocates are hopeful the governor will prioritize a bill that failed to pass last year. The bill would have banned life without parole sentences for juveniles and would make them automatically eligible for parole after 15 years. ACLU of New Mexico staff attorney Denali Wilson believes the legislation would balance the needs to protect public safety, respect the rights of victims, and also address harsh sentencing. And the need to treat children who we know possess unique capacity to grow and change to treat them differently than we treat adults who commit similar crimes. According to Wilson, increased parole options for young people who commit crimes creates incentive for good behavior and participation in rehabilitation programs. About 75 people would fall under the provisions of the Second Chance Bill in New Mexico. This is Mike Clifford. Thank you for starting your week with Public News Service. Member and listeners supported. Heard on radio stations, big and small. Find our trust indicators at publicnewsservice.org. From Feature Story News in London, I'm Ollie Barrett. North Korea's fired what's suspected to be two ballistic missiles to the east. Pyongyang has conducted a series of missile tests since the start of the year, heightening concerns over security in the Asia-Pacific region. Phoebe Amoroso reports from our Tokyo bureau. The projectiles were launched from an airport in North Korea's capital city of Pyongyang on Monday morning, according to the South Korean military. They are believed to be short-range ballistic missiles that flew less than 400 kilometers. South Korean and Japanese authorities are currently collecting and analyzing information to determine further details. Japan has once again called Pyongyang's actions a threat to the region's peace and security. The latest launches mark the fourth this year. The United States imposed fresh sanctions on North Korea last Wednesday. In response, North Korea has accused the U.S. of escalating the situation and rejected calls to return to talks. Phoebe Amoroso, Tokyo. Two teenagers have been arrested in Manchester in England over the hostage-taking incident at a Texas synagogue on Saturday. British national Malik Faisal Akram was shot dead in the incident in a Dallas suburb. India's daily COVID-19 tally is rising steadily. The country's recorded nearly 258,000 new infections in the last 24 hours. Ishan Gurg reports from New Delhi. Public health experts say Omicron could infect every household in the country eventually. So they are asking officials to ramp up testing. India tested 1.3 million samples on Sunday, lower than half the country's testing capacity. Officials have asked contacts of COVID-19 positive people to not get tested as well, claiming this can overburden the pathologies. Instead, officials say they are ramping up inoculation. A year after India began its vaccination drive, 70% of the eligible adults in the country are now fully vaccinated. Still, millions in the country are at risk, especially the younger population, many among whom haven't received a shot at all. COVID-19 isolation has been cut to five full days in England from today. People need to produce negative lateral flow test results on days five and six of quarantine. It comes as Prime Minister Boris Johnson remains under pressure over a series of allegations of lockdown-breaking parties in and around Downing Street. Cabinet Minister Nadim Zahawi says critics should now wait for an investigation into the claims to report. I think the Prime Minister said that rightly that he thought implicitly this was a him going to the garden to effectively talk to his staff and um, right. deliver a few words of encouragement for 25 minutes and go back to his desk. It was wrong and he apologised for it. For the Prime Minister, he pledged that he will come back to Parliament uh, when Sue Gray, a very senior civil servant, c- has completed her investigation and he will you know, submit himself to Parliament. He'll deliver a statement on uh, that outcome of that investigation. And that's the right thing to do. From bureaus worldwide, this is FSN. News Source 1 Michiana is actively monitoring the Russia-Ukraine border crisis and will keep you informed on the latest developments on our Facebook group.
This is a serious global issue to follow. Stay tuned for more. This is John Schaefer, and today I wanted to talk about a recent sad incident involving a homeless person. I had this young man, 24 years of age, staying with me, and try to help him. He had mental issues and health issues, uh, especially um, related to his heart. To come in, give him a place to stay. It was the second time we I have done this. And sadly, um, he packed his things and left to return to the streets. Had to realize today, you can't save everybody. You can't help those who don't want help. I invested a lot in him. I got him food stamps, health insurance, medical treatment, doctors, took him to appointments, fed and clothed him, um, providing him a place to stay, got him dental help, um, got him help to see a psychiatrist and appointments with a therapist and medicine and was working on obtaining housing for him and he threw it all away. He had stolen from me. He had uh, broken things in my apartment. He left constant messes, caused a great deal of stress, would not do the things asked of him, and yet still would have provided and continued the care, but through his own decision, he left packing his things to return to being homeless and leaving all of that help behind. Doctors who were treating his heart, uh, psychiatrists who was treating his depression and mental illness. He has ADHD. He has autism spectrum and many things stacked against him. He's been homeless since he was a teenager and now 24. His health is in jeopardy. His life is in jeopardy. He may not survive the streets too many more years. He's been in and out of jail and rehab. And he's gone through addictions. He's got very little family that is supportive of him. Nobody wants him around. Nobody is willing to help him except for the help I offered. And it makes no sense that he threw it all away. But some people do not want help. Some people do not see beyond today.
and make plans for their life. And it's sad. I do not foresee a good outcome from this. And I perhaps was his last refuge and his last hope for getting his life together and back on track and restoring his health. But all that's gone now. And often homeless people return to the streets because that is what they know best. This young man with an entire future ahead of him may not have that many more years left on this earth due to poor decisions. Decisions have consequences and mistakes made can have great consequences and this was a mistake but it was his choice. Nothing I can do other than what I have done and I maybe um, made some impact. It's hard to tell. Uh, even with his disabilities, he could have made a sound decision, but did not. I can only hope that something good can come from all this. But you try your best to save who you can. And sometimes it's not enough. Sometimes you can't save every person. And that's just the facts. Life has already destroyed them. Life has already dealt them a set of cards that there's no possible hand to win. This is John Schaefer. Thank you for listening. And we keep trying. And we do what we can. And once in a while, it pays off and it makes a difference. But not always. But we still keep trying. And we still keep reaching out. And we hope for the best. And maybe we can only save one out of a hundred But that one life is so well worth it. Sadly, sometimes those are the odds. But that one that comes along and you can save them from destruction and you can save them from the streets makes it all worthwhile. Looking for Dana Lash's absurd truth? It has been replaced by the Michael Medved show here on News Source 1 Michiana.
Nicodemus that Allison just told us about was a Pharisee. He was one of some 6,000 men who pledged to live their lives according to the Talmud, which is a, a written text based on the first five books of the Old Testament. The Talmud was a book that told people how God wanted them to live their lives. The first five books of the Bible, or what was called God's law, was said to be sacred. It was the perfect word of God, which means that it contained everything anyone would need to know to live a life that would be pleasing to God. For the early generations of Jews, they were, they were content with God's law and, and of following God's law, but later generations weren't quite as happy with it. The newer generation said the law is complete. It contains everything necessary for the living of a good life. But within this law, there must be a regulation to govern every possible incident in every possible moment for every possible individual. In other words, this, <coughs> this new group of legal experts decided that it wasn't good enough just to follow God's general law. So they decided to define the law by developing all sorts of of rules and regulations that would point to and govern every conceivable situation in life. Thus the beginning of what was called legalism. For instance, in the Bible, we're told that we must remember the Sabbath, to keep it holy and, and to do no work. And past generations of Jews did exactly that. But that wasn't good enough for the newer generation or these, these legal experts. They had to define what work was, which led them to, to, to list all the things that could be done and could not be done on the Sabbath. They decided that, tie, that something as simple as, as tying a knot on the Sabbath was work. But a knot was not just a knot, you see. A knot had to be defined. If you tied a knot like the camel drivers tied or tied a knot like the sailors tied, you were guilty of working on the Sabbath. And of course, you couldn't untie it either for that matter. But if you could tie a knot with one hand, they said, that would be acceptable. A woman, a woman could tie up her skirt, she could tie her cap, she could tie her girdle, she could tie the straps on her shoes, but a man couldn't tie a piece of rope to a bucket to get a knot, to, 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 to put the bucket down into a well because he was tying a knot that was considered work. But he could tie the bucket to a woman's girdle, you see. He could tie a bucket to a woman's girdle, let it down in the well, because a knot in a girdle was legal. It would be like we can't make coffee on Sunday mornings because taking the carafe into the bathroom and turning on the water would be work. And we couldn't, we couldn't go in and pick up the cookies to eat because that would be work. So we wouldn't be here this morning, would we? But you see, it was these, these legal experts, these, these scribes that made all these rules and regulations, and it was the Pharisees who were dedicated to keeping all these rules and regulations. They, they separated themselves from everyone else in the world so they could follow every detail of this prescribed law. And they expected everyone else to live that way for, because in their eyes, that was the only way that you could really please God. John Wesley, the, the founder of the Methodist movement, faced a lot of struggles in his day. 
One of the greatest struggles he faced, and perhaps one of the greatest struggles we face today, are what do I have to do to be saved? What do I have to do to get my salvation? What do I have to do to go to heaven? From the outside, John Wesley looked like he had it all together. I mean, he, he was a good Christian. His, his father was an Anglican priest, and his mother was the daughter of an Anglican priest, and, and he was raised in a good Christian household. He made the deans of university, and he belonged to the Holy Club, they called it, at Oxford, which is a, a group of men who made this, this covenant amongst themselves that they would lead a, a holy and a sober life. They'd take communion at least once a week, they'd pray faithfully, and they would spend at least, at least three hours a day studying the Bible. Imagine that. Well, on the outside, you see, Wesley appeared to have it on the, all together, but on the inside, Wesley had a lot of emotional problems, primarily because he was, he was just getting ready to get married. He was engaged. He, they were planning the wedding. It was just a couple days away. And his wife-to-be up and left him and married another guy, just like that. So it's no wonder Wesley had some, some problems, I guess. But he also suffered from spiritual problems. He called himself a Christian, but... He was obsessed with death and, and dying, and, and he was continually worried about God's judgment against him and whether or not he was doing enough in his life to be forgiven by God and go to heaven when he died. He was so concerned about, about pleasing God, he became obsessed with it, so much so that he went overboard with all this spiritual life stuff to try to please God and make God happy. He became obsessed with his prayer life. He thought that God expected him to pray much, much more than what he did. But when he did pray, he was afraid he wasn't praying the right way. And he was afraid that he wasn't saying the right thing to God when he prayed. He became obsessed over taking communion. How often should he take it? Once a day, once a week, twice a day, three times a day? How much was enough to have your sins forgiven? In trying to please God, he became obsessed with trying to live a sin-free life. And since he knew it was impossible to live a sin-free life, he spent all these other hours that he wasn't studying the Bible during the day trying to remember all of his sins and then confessing them to God. Because he believed, you see, that this was the only way he could be forgiven by God for all the wrong that he did each and every day of his life. But with all this constant turmoil going on in his life, trying to do this and trying to do that, what once was an obsession became a normal way of life for John Wesley. He could do as much as he could do, but he, and he focused his entire life on doing everything to please God. The only way to salvation, the, the only way to win God's favor and be forgiven of his sins and go to heaven was to walk the straight and narrow line and do everything he could to make God happy and live a sin-free life. And because of what he believed was the right way to salvation, life became overwhelming for him. And, and he, he failed miserably at everything he did in life. He failed at relationships. He began to, to doubt himself. He began to doubt his faith. He began to doubt everything he stood for because of the pressure that he put on himself to please God. Now, being good United Methodists like you are, and knowing the history of our denomination, you know what happened next. Well, 
At 35 years of age, John Wesley had a, a, a profound religious experience. He experienced God's forgiveness as he had never, ever imagined it. It was this experience in, in, the, in the chapel at Aldersgate, on Aldersgate Street in, in London, that simply changed his life forever. It was there one evening in chapel, when he was in chapel, he heard these simple words come from the first chapter of the book of Romans. Someone that evening read, it is the power of God at work that saves everyone who believes. The good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish simply by our faith. And as the scriptures say, it was read that night, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Well, you know that through our history that Wesley wrote that he felt a warm, strange warmth in his heart that night. And he felt that he did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given to me that night, he said, that at that point in time, he had taken away my sins, even mine, Wesley said. John Wesley had lived a life of self-blame for so long that it finally came to realize that it didn't make any difference or not whether or not you could remember all your sins, let alone confess them. Because once a person has a, a heartfelt desire to repent of all his sin and this lifetime commitment is made to Christ, forgiveness then becomes a reality in our lives. After beating his head against the wall day after day after day, and how many sleepless nights must he have had trying to figure out a way to save himself? How many days must he sat around wondering how he could get himself right with God? And all of a sudden, one night, Wesley discovers God's grace. At that very moment, at, at that very moment in time, he discovered God's grace, but he also felt this, this liberating power of forgiveness take hold. Wesley came to discover God's unconditional love and learned that Christ not only died for the sinner, but he also died for our sins as well. Now, this is only part of John Wesley's life because, you see, there's another part that's, that's important if we're going to fully understand our United Methodist heritage. This Aldersgate experience helped solve some of his problems, but not all of them. Even after experiencing this unconditional grace that he finally found, he still struggled with inner feelings of, of anxiety and, and, and unrest and, and futility. As a matter of fact, it took him almost a year to replace these feelings of anxiety and, and, and unrest with feelings of a, of a deep peace. Wesley went to school, to college, with a guy by the name of George Whitefield. George Whitefield was an evangelist to the poor. And he preached in the coal mines of England. Now, if you preached in the coal mines of England back in the 18th century, that was the, the low, <clears throat> lowest, most undesirable job a man could have working in the coal mines. In the eyes of the rest of the world, and in the eyes of John Wesley as well, coal miners were the, the poorest, dirtiest, most dishonest, most violent people in the world. People who didn't deserve to hear the word of God, people who didn't deserve salvation, people who didn't even deserve to go to heaven when they died. But George Whitefield preached to coal miners on a regular basis. something that Wesley considered embarrassing and worthless and time-wasting. But yet, 
Whitefield convinced him to go to the coal fields and preach to the poor. Here's what noted historian Albert Outler says about Wesley's decision to lower himself and go out into the coal fields. He said, up to this point, the story of John Wesley is full of anxiety, insecurity, frustration, and futility. But after lowering himself and, and preaching the good news of the gospel, these instances of spiritual insecurity disappeared and rarely ever, ever came back again. You see, it was only when John Wesley made the decision to come down off of his self-made pedestal and lower himself into the lives of the coal miners, that time when he became menial and worthless and low class and cheap, it was only when he decided to set aside his holier-than-thou attitude and become a servant to the to the dirtiest of the dirty, the lowest of the low, then he began to feel the real sense of salvation, you see. A real sense of forgiveness, a real sense of peace that he'd so desperately desired for years and years and years. It was when Wesley got off his high horse that day and came down to ground level into the, into the filthy, dirty, stinky trenches of the coal miners and ministered to the poor, that his life finally came together. It was when John Wesley became one of them that day that he learned about real salvation and what real salvation was. And that's what his story is about. It's a, it's a story about salvation, total salvation. And if you don't understand this, then you're going to have a hard time understanding John Wesley. And if you don't understand this, you're going to have a hard time understanding the, the United Methodist denomination. And if you don't understand this fully, then you're going to have a hard time understanding the mission of the church. We are saved by faith. But as Dan Luby also puts it, grace for Wesley was the pardoning, transforming love of God present to us in the indwelling spirit of God that comes from God, the Holy Spirit. It was Wesley's experience that for full salvation, we not only have to receive it, but we have to respond to it. We can't be passive with our salvation. We have to be active with our salvation. That's why as Christians, we can't ethically and morally sit in the midst of a world full of hunger and poverty and disease and social injustice. We can't just sit by in a world full of hopelessness and, and do absolutely nothing about it but sit and watch. I heard a quote from Martin Luther King yesterday that I wrote down this morning. Our lives begin to end the day we become silent about the things that really matter. Think about that. Our lives begin to end the day we become silent about the things that really matter. That's why we as a church choose to be missional. To reach out to those who are less fortunate than we are to feed the hungry and the homeless and to bring the good news of the gospel to the people that society has turned their backs on. That's why we buy Christmas presents for the Salvation Army and give to the Elkhart County Jail Ministry and UMCOR and Church Community Services and Susanna's Kitchen and on and on and on. You see, our salvation is a, is a two-way street. It comes to us through God's grace, but it is also driven by the Holy Spirit so that we might grow in that grace. So that we might grow in the knowledge and the love of God at the same time. Our salvation comes to us when it's driven by placing ourselves under the influence of God's Holy Spirit. And we do so by seeking to, to grow in so we can be more like Jesus through learning in, in community as a church and by practicing generosity and compassion to others. 
And if we do this, you see, then by grace of God becomes our visible actions. And it becomes real to us and it becomes a life-changing experience, not just for us, but it becomes a life-changing experience for those that experience the goodness of God through us. This is our Wesleyan heritage. This is what makes up our United Methodist DNA. Pharisees and, and our friend Nicodemus depended on their legalistic ways. Our salvation comes to us in only one way. It comes to us through the grace of God. But to make our salvation complete, to, to make our salvation whole, God calls for us to not only receive it, but God calls for us to be driven by the Spirit so that we might respond to it. Respond to it and grow to be like Jesus in all that we say and in all that we do. Amen. This is News Source 1 Michiana, Elkhart South Bend, 